Okay, um, if you guys will excuse me, I am feeling a little bit fluey and shaky this morning, so hopefully I'll be able to stand up. If I fall over, just talk amongst yourselves. Okay, but we are, we are talking about the church as a healing community today. Um, so let's pray first. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are good to us and kind and gracious. Thank you that you treat us much better than we deserve. <coughs> thank you for the reminder that we had from Victor this morning that nothing can separate us, that there is no condemnation. As much as the uh, accuser stands and accuses us and says that we are not worthy of you, you have said it is finished. You have said that we are yours. You have said that despite the existence of sin in our lives, you have eradicated it. You have already won the victory. And we long for that day, Lord, when, when the victory that, is won, that was won on the cross is a victory that is won completely in us. We thank you for that. Uh, please, Lord, dare to speak through, through this voice, but help us all to listen and understand. Thank you that we are all here and that you've, you've promised that when we open your word, when two or three are gathered, that, that you do speak to us. Amen. Amen. How's that? I do have a very softly spoken voice. Can you all hear me without it? I'll keep it on because my voice sounds a bit soft today. So humans were made for community. I'm not going to spend much time here. When God made us, part of what he did, he said, let us make humanity in our image. And that means being able to relate to God and to relate to each other. Uh, in fact, when Jesus comes back, in fact, the whole of the gospel story is being with God, is having community with God. Um, the problem, of course, is that sin comes in and interrupts community. Community is about, uh, in love, putting each other first. Sin comes in and says, in love, you're all scumbags who aren't quite as good as me. Uh, that, that's what sin comes down to. It's, it's wanting to be in charge myself. Uh, Jesus came and, and it shocked the religious people because he would hang out with the sinners. In fact, if you want to have a good definition of the church, it is the community of the broken. So our topic for camp is the church is a healing community. Maybe we can put the two together and say the church is the community of the broken who are healed and healing. Does that make sense? Uh, if you've got your Bibles... <coughs> Excuse me, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we're just going to read. Um, I'll, I'll summarize the first little bit for you. Basically, what happens, uh, <coughs> one of the disciples, or the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, uh, who's going to be the greatest? And he puts a child in front of them and says, you know what? Uh, the greatest is the one who is as humble as this little child. Um, he, he says to them, don't lead each other into sin. And he says also to them, don't lead yourself into sin. Put sin to death in you. And then in verses 12 to 14, Jesus tells a parable. Let's just uh, have a look at that. Um, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? <coughs> Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. And in the same way, it's not my, it's not, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones 
should perish. And that goes back to what uh, Victor was saying this morning. It is not God's will that any of his ones should perish. Uh, Jesus says that time and again, no one can snatch them out of his hand. Uh, but, but I love that image there of, of uh, God as the shepherd going out and searching. Uh, you might have heard the story in a different context in one of the other Gospels. But here, it's about God going out to look for Christians who have wandered away. Uh, and when they return, he rejoices. Uh, God chases after us. Uh, I don't know if you guys know the Psalm 23. Um, I, I read something recently in the last week or two <coughs> that says, uh, your goodness and your mercy follow me all the days of my life. You know the last little bit of that? Uh, apparently the word for follow is a horrible translation because usually it's translated hunt or pursue. Uh, and, and this is kind of what we've got here. Surely goodness and mercy will hunt me down all the days of my life. And this is what God is saying here. God hunts us down. He chases after us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. Uh, and that's God's attitude to Christians when Christians make mistakes, when Christians fail. Just a quick survey. Uh, hands up, please. Boy, that, that failed. Uh, the, 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 hands up. Everyone, hands up. You're going to put your hands down to the question. <coughs> okay, hands up if you're a grievous sinner. Hands, hands down if you have never made a mistake since becoming a Christian. Oh, we've got a couple people put their hands down. Matt's not sure. I think we've got a topic for our third talk now. <coughs> Thank you. God's attitude is, I will chase you down. I want you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but, but what about our attitude to each other? God is in charge of us, but we are a community. We are the broken community. As a broken community, we constantly have to put our hands up and say, yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we still struggle with sin, with all of this stuff. <coughs> Jesus addresses that. He says, even other believer sins against you. Uh, some manuscripts don't have against you. So uh, even other believer sins, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, You've won that person back, but if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Do we have any tax collectors here? I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, uh, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there among you, among them. And then Peter came to him, my, my mate Peter, who always knows exactly to say the sort of thing that we would say. And he says, Lord, great story. I get what you're saying. How much? How often must I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. Uh, uh, there's someone there is actually my brother. It could just be generic my brother, but remember, his brother is one of the disciples. <laughs> Lord, how, must, must I, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. No, not seven times, Jesus says. Seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. <coughs> in the process, one of his debtors was brought in and owed him millions of dollars. Uh, he couldn't pay, and so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, everything he owned, to pay the debt. 
But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me. I will pay it all. And his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. And when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant. But when he left, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars, and he grabbed him by the throat, demanded instant payment. And his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested (coughs) and put in prison until the debt could be paid. Now, the translation there, that's debtor's prison. He had him arrested to be tortured until the debt could be paid. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Now, on the back of what Victor said this morning, next verse. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. Shall we, shall we just skip that verse? If you've got your biro or your, your pen, just scratch that verse out. Don't, no, don't do that. Beg your pardon? Read it again. I will. God, in that story of the parable, hunts down the lost sheep. And I wonder if we are a healing community. I think what Jesus says in verses 15, 16, and 17 is that we are to hunt each other down as well. God wants us, I believe, to be like himself. He wants us to chase each other, not because I'm going to get revenge, not because I'm going to hurt you back, but because God wants to win you back to himself. So, just another show of hands. Hands up if someone in the church has ever hurt you or you've ever seen someone sinning and it's really worried you. Um, That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, it's pretty bad, isn't it? (laughs) What should we do when we are faced with someone who has hurt us or who is hurting someone else or is sinning and we're concerned about them. Well, says Jesus, the first thing we do is we go to them directly, face to face. Uh, it's very tempting uh, if we have to confront someone to do it from a distance, isn't it? Isn't it so much easier to pick up a phone and say, I, I-, I need to talk to you about something, or write them a letter? Because that way, we don't actually have to face them. It- it's-, it's-, it's not nice confronting someone, is it? Um, if it is comfortable, if, if you ever find yourself feeling comfortable confronting someone, don't. Because chances are, at that point, the log in your own eye is obscuring your vision. Uh, however, Jesus does tell us to confront each other. Um, it, it's, it's so much easier to say, live and let live, or oh, that's just how they are, or uh, I'm no better than they are. I have my own faults. And, and yes, of course you have your own faults. Huh? I have my own faults, but, but as a community of the broken healers, of people who are broken but belong to the healer, we are called to heal each other, to, to speak to each other, to, to love each other. I mean, imagine if you say, oh, I noticed that you are in the river, in the, in the lake over there drowning. I once almost drowned. And I'm not good enough to come and help you because you know what? I almost drowned once, 25 years ago, before I learned to swim. How sad. That's just who you are. No! If, if there's anything I can do, I, I, I should go and help you, or at least call out and say, 
they're in the pond drowning. Or send someone who's a good swimmer or, or something. But, but so often in the church, we, we say, oh, no, 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 no I, I, can't, I can't confront you because I, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. But that doesn't mean you can't love someone. You know, there's, there's an old saying that goes something along the lines of, let me tell you about my faults and you shall think how humble I am. Tell me about my faults. And I'll punch your face in. <laughs> we don't like being told about our faults. But uh, Psalm 141 verse 5 says, uh, Let a friend, let the godly strike me, it will be a kindness. It's a kindness for the godly to strike me? Well, yes it is, because, because uh, I think the psalm says, talking a little bit about the same thing, uh, when the godly strikes someone, it isn't to destroy them. It's to win them back. All of what Jesus is on about here is not anger. It's not about revenge. It's, it's not even about justice being done. This is about eternity. <clears throat> and if somebody comes to us and confronts us, uh, does that change our worth? Does that affect our standing before God? Part of the problem of, of our brokenness is that we tend to find our value and worth from what people think of us. But, but God loves us, as Victor reminded us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, as Romans 8 finishes. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, our worth comes from what God thinks of us. And because we are worth that, we need to love each other enough to say, hey, don't wander away from God. Don't wander away from the only one who gives your life worth and meaning. Sometimes it's not possible to go and confront someone alone. Sometimes it's, it's not uh, wise. But, but the point I think that Jesus is making is that we are in this not to exact justice or revenge, but, but almost to minimize the trauma for the person that we are confronting. It's not about destroying them. It's about calling them to live out who they are in Jesus. It is, it is so easy to destroy someone. It is so easy to... to uh, we can go along the lines and just, just share your secret sin that you wish nobody could ever... <laughs> Do you want me to share it? Well, this man over here... We can easily attack each other and break each other down. And we do that in a church, don't we? Sometimes we do that. But what Jesus says to us here, he says, go to them alone. Go to them in private. Uh, because it's not about making them pay at this point. God says, uh, revenge is mine. We're to leave that to God. But, but the point here is to come to the person and say, God wants better for you. And hopefully at one point or another, they might come to you and say, hey, God wants better for you. You know what? Paul, uh, at one point, had to go to Peter, the rock on which the church was built, and say, Hey, Peter, you're doing totally the wrong thing. You, you, you used to eat with the Gentiles, and now you don't eat with them, and, and other people are following your example. This isn't the good news of God. And, and was it nice? Was it pleasant? No. But Paul did it because, because Peter needed to know that he wasn't walking in the way of the gospel. And when Peter was confronted... He changed. He, he corrected himself. 
<coughs> and what Jesus says here, if the person uh, who has sinned listens to someone who comes to them in private and says, hey, I'm, I'm concerned about you. Uh, uh, I want you to follow God. Uh, if they listen, that's brilliant. They're, they're like uh, that sheep that Jesus spoke about, the shepherd going and finding. And, and, and God and his people should rejoice. And yes, they might be hurt, but, but, but there is gladness that this person is loved by God and is walking after Jesus. Of course, sometimes the person will not repent. They, they'll say, yeah, get lost. Uh, I've done nothing wrong. And so Jesus says in that case, uh, still, we're not out to attack them or destroy them. Just take a couple of other people along with you so that there are people who can go, yes, we've, we've spoken about this. You see how it's still keeping it small. We're not, we're not out to destroy each other. We, we're out to win each other back to God. Uh, it's also useful if you do take a couple of people with you, I think, to make sure that they are not yes-men or yes-men. People who will look at you and go, actually, Nick, I think you're in the wrong here. Because sometimes we are, and we're blind to that. If they still refuse uh, that their actions are, are wrong, uh, then you go to the church. And again, this is not about standing them up and parading their sins in front of everyone and, look, and going, look at Chad, this man over here plays the drums, he was once seen in a pub. Uh, all these things. It's not about embarrassing him, not that that embarrasses Chad at all, which is wonderful. <laughs> It's about calling them to see sin as sin. You see, the problem here is not what they've done. The big problem here is that they look at it and go, that's not a problem. And Jesus says, well, if they still refuse after the church, then treat them like an outcast, a pagan or a tax collector. Because at that point, they've, they've put themselves in that position of saying, uh, we are in opposition to God and his ways. Now, quite often we'll look at this passage and we'll say, um, what's this got to do with us? This is about church discipline. This is about the elders. This is about the pastors. This is about the people in authority. But, but actually what's interesting, English is a useless language when it comes to uh, you because we can't tell the difference between you and yous, plural and singular. Because the you in verses 15, 16 and 17 are all singular. So this is about you and someone else, one on one. This is not about the church excommunicating someone. This is not about the church casting someone else. Jesus says, you, singular, should treat that person as a non-Christian. And this isn't about punishing them for their sin. Now you've done the wrong thing. I've gone through all this stuff and now you're going to suffer. This is about, well, none of this is about punishment. This is about grace. This is about saying, I love you enough to, to not stop calling you back to God. I love you enough to reach for you when you're stumbling. And when you think about it, how did Jesus treat tax collectors and pagans? He ate with them. He, with them. he loved them. He, he called them to repentance. He he spoke about the kingdom to them. He, he, he loved them. But, but at the same time, he, he didn't pull his punches. He didn't say, oh, that, that's okay. You know what? You go out and cheat someone. That's wonderful. Jesus said, when people came to him, he said, go and sin no more. And this is the same sort of thing. Jesus says, all of this is about winning someone back. We're going to skip over verses 18 to 20. Uh, just say there that... that uh, 
Jesus gives the church, the community, uh, the right to assess what is right or wrong. So basically, if something comes to the church, uh, we should take that quite seriously because Jesus is there with the church gathered. But <coughs> as I said earlier, this brings up another question. So somebody has, has done something against me. I've gone to Matt. I've said, Matt, I was really upset about this. Um, it, you hurt me when you did that. Matt goes, I am so sorry, Nick. I know every time I punch you, I hurt you, and I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I go, fantastic. We're agreed that's not the way we want to live. And, and Matt goes, yeah, wonderful. And then I walk past Matt again, and he punches me again, and I, I go to him next time, Matt, I just need to speak to you again. Um, you know what, when you punch me, it's, it's, I don't think it's loving. And Matt goes, yeah, you're right, it's not loving. And then I walk past him, and as I leave, he goes, punch. And I go, I've given you three times, Matt. Let's do it again. Matt, when you punch me, it's not... And again, it's like... Seven times, Matt, last chance. This is what Peter's doing. He's counting up. He says, <coughs> what do we do when someone sins and repents and sins and repents and sins and repents and sins and repents? How much is enough? Uh, the rabbis in Judaism, depending which school you went to, uh, one time was enough or three times was enough. Peter's generous. He says, Jesus, what about seven times? Uh, but Peter's question is really this. When can I finally punish them and not forgive them? When can I finally punish them? And Jesus answers, and, and his story speaks to us about how all of us uh, are in great debt to God. We, we all know what it's like to be in debt to someone. Have, have you ever borrowed money from someone? And every time you see them, it's like, oh, I owe them that. Well, how about when it's not a money that you've borrowed from someone, but, but perhaps you know that you've hurt someone. Or you haven't been good enough. And we've got this inside debt collector that goes to extreme lengths to make it up. That, that little voice. Maybe this is just me speaking. So if it's not you, ignore me. But that little voice inside going, You failed. You messed up. You have to make it up to them. You have to make it up to them. Of course, that voice has got another side uh, that says, They did it. They hurt you. They owe you. They must make it up to you. Anyone else got that voice? <laughs> you might have heard the story of uh, this king who is doing his accounts a, a few times before. How he finds one of his servants that owes him, uh, the, the Greek there's got 10,000 talents. 10,000, like the biggest number they can get. If you... <coughs> If you do the, the sums, and, and I don't think you're meant to, but just how sort of big Jesus is talking. A, a, a talent is 6,000 is 6, denarius. So denarius is a day's wages. If you take the hourly minimum wage in Western Australia, uh, multiply it by 7.6, which is the average daily hours worked. Multiply that by 6,000. Multiply that by 10,000 talents. We are talking $78,842,240,000. Um, and the king comes and says, mate, you borrowed a little bit of cash. Um, time to pay up. Uh, and he can't. Uh, just for perspective, uh, uh, 
numbers are not important here. The point is it's huge. But the WA budget for this year is 29 billion 600 million thousand. It's quite a lot smaller. And that's the whole of West Australian state. Well, this is one man coming to the king saying, yeah, I did borrow that. Uh, don't quite have it in the piggy bank right now. If you give me a few more months, I mean, how ridiculous. If, if I owe Victor $78 billion, my bank account doesn't have quite that much in it at the moment. And he comes and says, Nick, I need to do some work on the farm. I need my money now. I will then go to him and I'll say, just give me a few more years. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, uh, the church is paying me at the moment reasonably well, so you know, a few more years and, and we'll have the $78 billion down. And the king looks at him and he goes, you're never going to get that, are you? You're never going to be able to get that. But he tries to talk himself out of it and and this man is us. We, we owe God our lives, our existence. He's forgiven us so much. And there was no way that we could ever pay him back. Our, our, our sins are, are, are like a, a barrier against us. And, and many of us come to him and say, I'm going to try and pay you back, God. I'm going to try. I, I, yes, I owe you so much. And I know I've, I've, I've squandered all of the stuff that you've given me. And I've, I've gone against you. I've rebelled against you. But, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll come to church. I'll read my Bible four chapters a day. Five. I'll do five chapters of Bible reading a day. I won't do that. I'll, I'll make it up to you. And the, the king in the story is just like God. who looks at us and goes... You can't. You're joking, aren't you? There's no way you can do that. And then he looks at us and says, I forgive you. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll take it out of my own pocket. I'll, I'll, I'll pay it out myself. I'll write off the debt. It's going to cost me, but I'll do that. <coughs> the servant in the story was forgiven so much, but I sometimes wonder if he really understood that he was forgiven. Which goes back again to what Victor said today. Because he took the benefits, but it made no difference in his life whatsoever. He went out, he found someone who owed him a few thousand dollars. And when he couldn't beat him up, he... Well, sorry, when he couldn't pay him, he did beat him up. And then he threw him into jail to be tortured. I mean, it, so many of us in the church know that God has forgiven us. But we struggle to forgive those who hurt us. Sometimes we even struggle to forgive ourselves. And when we fail to give forgiveness, I wonder if that doesn't really say that we haven't accepted it. That, that we still think, yeah, God said he's forgiven me, but, but just maybe he's going to come back and say, actually... I've looked at the books again and um, I do need the $78 billion. And, and if that's true, if, if God perhaps might not really forgive me in the end, which as Victor said this morning, he already has, but, but this is how sometimes we think, if that's true, why should I forgive someone who sinned against me or, or hurt me? Why should, I, why should I forgive anyone? Why should I forgive myself? Why should I forgive you? 
It is so easy to hear God say, I forgive you, I love you, I give you my grace, undeserved kindness, and say, thank you very much, God, but just to be safe, I'm going to live as if that's not really true. <coughs> Besides which, all of that, if you owe me, if you've hurt me, if you've done something against me, it is my right to insist that you pay me back. Yes, Jesus died for you, but you've hurt me. You've caused me loss. You must suffer. You must recognize that you owe me. You are a far worse scumbag than I, and I know this because you've done something against me. And the king finds out what the servant does in the story, and he he calls him in, and he berates him, and he throws him out into eternal torture. It's eternal because... How are you going to pay $78 billion if you're stuck in jail? And Jesus says that last sentence, my heavenly father will do this to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. (coughs) And we read that and we go, hang on. What what, what about the bit where, 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 what about what Victor said this morning? What about the bit that says God has forgiven us and we're we're, we're fine? I think the grace of God, the kindness of God is meant not only to to give us what we don't deserve, but to reorient our lives. I forget who it was. I read someone who said, God gives us his forgiveness, but it's really difficult to hold on to it if I've balled up my fists to punch someone else. When I, when I say, I cannot forgive you, what I'm really saying is, I am better than you. <clears throat> I'm really forgetting that, that I too am a debtor to a higher power. Yes, it's forgiven. But I, I had to be forgiven. If I say, I refuse to forgive you, what I'm really saying is that your sin, your crime against me is far worse than my crime against God. We, we so easily forget, N.T. Wright's got an idea, I'll change it for Australia. He says, uh, we forget that sins, uh, the difference between ordinary sin and extreme sin, is about the same as the distance from Perth to Sydney. The difference between ordinary sin and extreme sin is about as far as Perth to Sydney. Do we agree? No? We don't know what we're talking about. That's okay. I, I would say, I have sinned against God to this level. But you have sinned far worse. Well, you know, we'd like to think that there is. And from our perspective, I go... I go, I'm here, but you're far worse. Or I go, I'm here, but I'm far worse. Or or you go, you're far worse than me. And from our perspective here, it looks like one sin is here, one sin is in Perth, one sin is in Sydney. But we forget that God's perspective is from the sun. And the distance between our sins from God's perspective is nothing. Sin is sin. But what we like to do is to say, you are obviously worse than me. 
Oh, I'm never self-righteous. <laughs> yeah, God, God knows our hearts. He knows, he knows quite often how we don't want to forgive others. Because forgiveness costs us. Uh, it costs us to not stand in our rights. And, and yet Jesus says, why does, the, why does the king forgive his servant? Because he looked at him and he had pity on him. Because he loved him. Because he, he wanted better for him. And because he is infinitely rich and, and he could pay off those debts. It wasn't as if God needed to be paid. You have to really believe, don't you? you really believe that, believe that Jesus died for that. We've got, to, we've got to believe that. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that, yeah. The good thing is that uh, faith doesn't rest in how strong we believe, but on the one that we, that we trust. When we forgive someone, it's not excusing what they've done. It's not minimizing it. It's saying, I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. And we do that because we look and we say, because I realize that God has already paid off my debt. I don't need to exact revenge on you because I owe God nothing. He has done it. He has made us one with himself. What benefit is there for me to make you pay? Does it add to my life? Does it make me better? Does, does it, I, I already have inheritance with the king who has cattle on a thousand hills. With the one who knows everything. With the one for whom 10,000 talents, $78 billion is a drop in the hat. He hasn't just forgiven me. He said, come on. I'm adopting you. And, and so really, for me to exact revenge on you, what benefit is it for me? My worth doesn't come on, on, on you recognizing how good I am. My worth comes from God. When someone hurts us, our sinful tendency is to get even with them. Or maybe to forgive them, as long as they suffer a little bit and know that I won't forget. And if you do it again, then, then you're going to bring the thunder. But when I realize that God offers me unlimited forgiveness, the more we realize that, the more we realize that we too can show that kind of love. Because there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the new commandment, to love each other. Exactly. Mercy shown, mercy experienced, will result in mercy shown. Or it should. In our churches, people will sin. We, we do. The question is, do we love each other enough to say, God wants you to follow him. He, he chases after you. Do we act out of a desire not to get revenge, but to win someone back? It, it's much easier to beat each other up when we fall. It, it's much easier to get even with someone. It's much easier to punish someone. It, <coughs> it feels good. 
but it's not it's not the best feeling because in the end what we are doing is saying God thanks for your forgiveness but really your opinion of me is not as good as my opinion of me and what you think of me doesn't matter as much as what they think of me What people need in our church is people who love them enough to call them back to the one who loved them and died for them. What we need is to be strengthened by each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 has got that image of uh, one person walking along is fine, but you've got two or three walking along together. Two, one stumbles, the other will pick the other one up. In Romans chapter 1 verse Paul, Paul is writing to the Romans and he says... Um, <coughs> I hope to come and see you so that uh, I can encourage you and you can encourage me. This is what we're talking about. This is, this is speaking to each other in love. Uh, if the church is a community of the broken who need forgiveness, if we are a community of the forgiven, then our relationships in the church should be marked by forgiveness. And not just, a, I, I forgive you, it's fine, forget about it. It's a... I forgive you because God loves you and God loves me. So the question I think we have to leave with is, for all of our churches, is are we a debt-free community of Christians? Are we a people who will chase after each other and when we hurt each other, because we will, when we hurt each other, Are we willing to forgive and forgive and forgive because we want you to follow Jesus? And are we willing for someone to come to us and say, hey, I'm worried about this because we know that they want us to follow Jesus? That's the question. I think we might stop there. Thank you. Thank you.